Thank you for joining me for quite excellent episode number 25. Today I'll be reading a poem from Julia Story titled Toad Circus, published in the April 20, 2020 issue of The New Yorker. But before I get to this week's poem, we need to discuss our last poem, The Yawn, by Paul Blackburn. I was happy to find in this poem a structure unlike anything my students had seen since our online class began, and something they would not have noticed while we were still in class. While we always started our class periods with a poem, it was read out loud to students. The structure would have been largely lost to them. Those who heard it would have interpreted it as part of my performance choices, rather than an essential quality of the poem. Even as I read it on the podcast, a listener is only getting part of the poem. It must be viewed. So, you know, you should read it too. Here's the poem. The Yawn. Paul Blackburn. The black-haired girl with the big brown eyes on the Queen's train coming into work so opens her mouth so beautifully wide in a yawn that two stops after she has left the train I have only to think of her and I <sighs> wow I continue to be impressed by my students readings of our poetry selections but putting something so oddly shaped in front of them resulted in some very honest responses. One student called the structure stupid and noted that they didn't like it. Another suggested that I chose this poem specifically to confuse them. While I disagree that the structure is stupid, I'll admit that something close to confusion is not far off. To be clear, I didn't want students to be confused and defeated by the poem, but rather... I hoped that the structure would disorient them just a little bit and challenge them to find meaning in something that seemed unapproachable at first. I am pleased to report that whatever confusion they felt, they found that meaning. Students found a number of ways to interpret the use of a single word in a line, with massive and varying indentations, with many stating that this demonstrated the effect the black-haired girl had on the speaker. One such response noted that, quote, the speaker who sees her is amazed and can't process their thoughts. Another notes that these indentations suggest the speaker is all over the place in a sort of dreamland, with thoughts floating in no order. An especially clever reading suggests that the extra spaces between words suggest that the attention of the speaker is so totally on the girl that it is in these spaces they are taking time to look at and admire her, momentarily interrupting the line of thought in the poem. Along this line was a student who said this shows what a first-person perspective of having a crush is, and I think there is something true about that. Sometimes, when you really got them big feels, it's a Herculean effort not to stare. It wasn't just the structure that suggested the speaker's feelings in my students' reads, either, as a few pointed to the title of the poem itself, which announces the yawn as something worthy of art, with one student stating that the speaker unearths a yawn to be beautiful. 
It isn't only that our speaker is in love, however. Yawns are necessarily associated with being tired, after all. And as the speaker's train is coming into work, students noted it was likely early. The alertness of our speaker is then indicated by this indented structure. In the words of one student, its loose structure gives a certain feeling of sleepiness. This, quote, broken syntax, a phrase, by the way, from a student that is fantastic, it's effective, and it uses our literary terminology quite well. But this broken syntax, then, suggests a half-awake quality. Interesting. This structure may not be only descriptive of the speaker's sleepiness, but it might also be prescriptive of sleepiness that then affects the reader of the poem. Multiple students noted that reading this poem made them either yawn or feel like doing so. Part of this may be that, as a student effectively argues, the structure of the, this poem is long and stretched out, allowing you to take large breaths in between stances, just like in yawns. This deliberate pacing showed up in a few different reads, with students noting that the structure is such that, quote, you're supposed to look at every word as its own sentence, with another along the same lines stating that the indents force the reader to slow down and naturally put emphasis on specific words and phrases. This is perfectly described in one response as, quote, an illusion that doesn't seem like much, but after hearing, you may yawn yourself. There are a few responses that made contributions that were really singular and worth paying attention to. One of these compared this poem to some of our other poems, stating that despite being, quote, shorter than most of the poems that we've read during quarantine, it evokes more empathy than others because of how it focused so closely on an aspect of beauty that is easily overlooked. One of my students did a visual reading of the poem, noting that the increasing indentation that pushes the words further to the right imitates the structure of Freytag's pyramid, albeit shifted, rotated to one direction. You've probably seen this before. This is that plot diagram that goes up with rising action to climax and down falling action to resolution. They didn't actually mention this source specifically by name. You have to be a certain level of English nerd for that. But still, this is a very cool reading. Noting that as the attentions of the speaker become more and more mixed on the black-haired girl, the rising action eventually reaches a climax, a yawn, which is when the words are at their most indented, the furthest to the right, before the indents settle back into something more traditional, much as the falling action leads to a resolution, which happens in the final natural yawn of the speaker, which is back over to the left. This reading is assisted unintentionally by another student, who observes that the first yawn is the yawn by the girl, and as a result, it's descriptive of how she yawns, while the second yawn is stretched out, a yawn, into a, a personalized, surprised yawn of the speakers themselves. It is cause, it is effect. We have initial conflict, and then relevant resolution. 
One of the hardest things about poetry analysis is making arguments about meaning. But my goodness, did students do that too? I'm just going to share some of their claims they made about meaning directly. The poem is an experience itself about the beauty in everyday surroundings. There is structure to his poem that teaches us that time is fleeting. There is an uncontrollable nature of the yawn. And as a side note, there's an uncontrollable nature to attraction too. The actions we take may seem small, but everything still has meaning and can still affect those around us. The meaning of this poem could also be comedic and show that, in a way, as people say, yawning is contagious. All of that is so good that I really don't have a lot to add, but I will share that my initial reading was a little bit different and actually kind of combined these reads. Uh, It seemed to me that the attraction the speaker was feeling might have been at least in part because of how tired he was, or they were. I read it to suggest that, as he nodded in and out of attention, it was this girl he kept opening his eyes to, and given his own tiredness, it may have been her yawn that he finally found most seductive and memorable, given that he may have been hoping for a few more hours of sleep himself. I think my reading can be safely nestled in with all the brilliance of my students' reads. Now, our next poem is Toad Circus by Julia Story. I really did think that the yawn would push my students in new ways, and maybe it did. Certainly for some students, but even those that commented on how weird or stupid it was managed to do really thoughtful things with the poem. So, Before I go back to something that is too straightforward, I'm going to give my students a poem that most will look at and say, that isn't poetry. Oh, but it is. For as stuffy and formal as most people think poetry is, and yes, plenty of it is, I promise, poetry is a pretty punk rock art form. It seems ridiculous, I know, but the history of poetry is full of people saying, I'm going to do whatever the heck I want with my art, I hope you hate it. Uh, As further proof of poetry's lack of stuffiness, by the way, I'll note that I had to do a fair amount of reading through poems in The New Yorker before I found one that was actually appropriate for class. So, yeah, prose poetry. It's a thing. I know it looks like it's just a paragraph, but as you read it, you'll find that the poet isn't always concerned with completing traditional sentences, often providing imagery or ideas where there should be punctuation and completed thoughts. Maybe the poem doesn't have a specific narrative, although that's there. But it does manage to have a particular emotion or idea with certainty. It also uses words in ways that are manipulative of rhythm and concept. Although the trouble with reading prose poems is that you have to develop this rhythm on your own. So apologies if I fall short in my reading. And to be sure, we are referring to this format correctly. Our secret word this week is prose. Here's the poem. Toad Circus by Julia Story. The day after my toad circus, the toads were all dead, crunchy and silent in their window well. I wanted to draw a doorway to walk through to get to the world of lilacs, purple, contagious green leaves, and no movement 
but the steady, invisible breathing of flowers. I knew I had to tell someone what I had done, so I first walked to the park and stayed there until dusk, sitting on the glider or in the middle of the rusty and dangerous merry-go-round, I can't remember which. When it was nearly dark, I walked home, certain that they were worried and maybe even out looking for me. When I got there, I saw them busy in the kitchen through the window, so I hid in the backyard until it was good and dark. A living thing on a swing set in the gloom, the attic in my head cracking open for the first time, and I went in. Students, be sure to use the word prose. There aren't a lot of different forms for this, but you got to get that word in there, okay? Keep using the word the speaker. We don't actually know who the character is that's speaking. So you got to use the right phrase for it. Uh, you don't actually need the forward slash this week, but I'm pleased that you have been using it. But since this is prose, it's written in sentences and paragraphs, there are no line breaks, no stanzas. So, no forward slashes. Remember to complete your paragraph-length response by Wednesday, May 13th, and two replies to the responses of your peers by the Friday that ends the week. If you enjoy this podcast, have suggestions, or would like me to direct an eye toward a particular poem or poetic device, leave a comment on lightandteaches.com. The content of this podcast is used as a companion to class instructional activities, and the ownership of these texts remain with their stated authors. Thank you for joining me for episode 25 of this podcast. I hope that between now and the next time you hear from me, you discover and savor a few things that you yourself find quite excellent.